Hello, welcome back. Today I am joined by osteopath Jamie Thompson. So Jamie, thank you for joining. Thank you very much, Andy, for the invitation. Uh, look forward to, to discussing a few things. Indeed, indeed. So where are you talking from today? Currently at my home down in Godalming in Surrey, um, dodging the rain, the, the lovely summer that we've had so far here in England. Um, uh, so yeah, nice uh, a nice Friday. I'm actually going to a wedding this afternoon. So a nice Friday morning uh, discussing things with you and then, then going down to celebrate uh, some cousin's wedding. Oh, great. Where's that happening? Uh, Woking. Um, so not actually too far from us here, which is helpful. Very good. Very good. Well, yeah, I won't keep you for ages then so you can go and get make yourself look uh, look sharp for the wedding. Thank you. <laughs> so whereabouts are you from originally? So originally born and raised up in Shrewsbury. Um, so family uh, still up there and, and just south of the Wirral. Um, and my immediate family mum and dad moved further south towards Brighton when I was about eight years old and they've stayed south ever since um so i went to school through uh, yeah in sussex went off to university then moved back home after university and and then up into london where i met my wife uh, and we lived in in clapham for a bit and then as i said moved out to godalming now so a little bit all over the place yeah clapham is that what's the what's the big nightclub there infernos Infernos, yeah <laughs> some memorable nights in there that perhaps we shouldn't be discussing on a podcast i would have thought so yeah when you whenever you've got carpet in a uh, in a club it's not great is it the worst the worst <laughs> the sticky the sticky carpet and this this just holds the smell doesn't it um, yeah oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Not, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> not good but also great you know what i mean it's one of, the, uh, one of those it's just it's the place to be isn't it on a saturday after after whatever on a Saturday, a bit of sport and, and things, great social spot. Yeah. So what was your degree in then? So my degree was in osteopathy, osteopathic medicine. Um, so I, I studied at Oxford Brooks. Um, unfortunately, it's closed. Uh, the courses stopped or, or been closed down since uh, I left, which is a real shame because Oxford Brooks what, at the time was the only what I describe as, as mainstream university to study osteopathy. The other the other osteopathy colleges or institutes were very much um, on their own. Um, whereas at Oxford Brooks, you had the whole student life, if you will. So you had the regular halls living with students that were studying other other things, um, the sport, um, which for me was important. And I didn't just want to, to go to a, a closed off Institute of Osteopathy. Um, that was my my thought process. It, 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 that wouldn't have worked for me and, and what I was about. So, um, so yeah, Oxford Brooks was, was an awesome place to be for four years. And so what made you go for osteo osteopathy? Great question. Um, so I was really lucky to be at a school where we had a careers officer involved um, and she was really helpful to me, actually. And, and we'd have meetings through from about age 16, I think it was sort of just preempting what A-levels we were going to choose, potentially lining up a career. Um, and I'm a hugely I love my sport, play every sport under the sun um, and wanted to go into something sport orientated um, and flirted with the idea of going into the physio world. Um, uh, and then she said, oh, why don't you look at the world of osteopathy? So funny enough, I said, well, my, my godfather's an osteopath up in Liverpool. Um, so I got on the phone to him 
flew up to Liverpool and and spent a week with him and thought, I can get on board with this. This is really cool. It's great. I, I spent a bit of time in a, in a physio clinic up there as well, sort of got the balance and, and understood what they were all about. Um, and yeah, went and then looked around some universities and, and finally, yeah, thought, yeah, osteopathy is the route to go down. So it was, yeah, a combination of things, I think. Um, yeah. And how would you describe the differences if you considered physio and osteopathy? What are the what like the the different fundamentals? I think it's it's a bit of a continuum. So at one end you have physio, and at the other end you have chiropractic care. The osteopathy floats somewhere in the middle. Um, uh, osteopathy classically um, way back has. Um, it's slightly different beliefs and, and different fundamental basics that is different to physio and, and Cairo. Um, but I, I think modern day medicine, modern day practice has almost moved everything under the same umbrella. Um, my, we'll come on to that in a minute, but my, I went on to do a master's uh, in sports medicine. And that, that I think has moved me more to the physio world, if you will, which, um, or, or the way of practicing. Um, uh, there's definitely a crossover. I think osteopathy, you have perhaps more hands-on care. I think that's that's perhaps the difference, certainly in the clinic that I'm at now. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's probably where the difference lies. Um, but I think modern-day medicine, is they're, they're both so aligned, um, and that's why they work pretty well together. Um, but roll back 50, 100, 200 years, then that's where they would have been slightly different. Yeah, yeah, and that w- when you were, taking that course and did you have like a career pathway or vision as to what you wanted to be to end up doing always said I wanted to work in sport uh, that was always my my go-to um speaking to tutors and they were like oh it's hard you know you you, you might not you know you've got to be a bit broader like open up your eyes and be perhaps a bit more broad-minded and, and I just thought yeah I, I'm going to try and pursue that as, as much as I possibly could um and at that point, when I was studying, there weren't many osteos in sport. It was still an evolving practice um, and sort of perhaps unrecognised in sporting teams. Um, but certainly, I feel I'm in it at the right time from a sporting perspective because it is growing. Um, most, well, a lot of teams, particularly football teams, have osteos involved, which is which is great. Um, and certainly, there's more opportunity. Yeah, I mean, two people we've had previously that I've chatted to is Carl Todd, who's like, got a great reputation and, you know, works with the England team and has got his own clinics as well. And then Chris Myers, who's got a physio background as well as as oste- osteopathy. Yeah. And it, it certainly does seem to be, it's like, from my side, we, we've there's not there's not as many osteopaths as there are physios. But like, so, so when you were at the university then, how did it work in terms of placements and just in terms of you getting experience? So at university, we had a clinic on site, which was for the general public. They they came, they, they actually paid to see us as students, um, a reduced fee, I may add. Um, and we were, were uh, sort of overseen by a, a tutor, an experienced tutor who would dip in and out of the, the room and, and make sure everything was was going well and we were doing the right thing um so that was a really good place to learn and i think it, yeah i think that there's no better way to learn than actually seeing real life patients real life injuries 
Um, it's certainly the first couple of years at university, you don't see patients like that. You're just working on your classmates and your family and your friends, trying to get an understanding of the body. But third and fourth year, it was, it was very clinical based. Um, and I think that's that's where I learned the most. Um, and yeah, you, you actually see real injury and that's that's super important before you go out into the real world. Mm. And, then, and then so when you have graduated, like what's, how is the transition? So the minute you, you finish your exams, you can apply to, uh, once you get your results and you get your piece of paper, you apply to the GEOSC, the General Osteopathic Council, and you, you're registered, you're on the register, so you can practice. You, you just say, you can literally say, I'm an osteopath and see as many people as you'd like. Um, so there's no there's no uh, further education at that point. Um, so I I moved back home to Sussex to my family home and in, was invited to work at a couple of clinics, one in Brighton and one just outside of Chichester. Um, so that's how I split my, my work week. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was... <sighs> It was quite samey in a sense of of the clinic and, and sort of the injuries that I saw. And that's why I, I kept in the back of my mind. I want to go into sport again, wanted to go into sport again and, and, and see um, see what I could do in the world of sport. Um, and yeah, from that moment, I thought, yeah, I, I can't see myself being in a clinic all day, every day. So so that's where I reached out and, and fortunately had an opportunity to go into the world of sport um, in cricket to start with. So how did that opportunity happen then? Um, so prior to going to university, I was trying to, to play proper cricket, professional cricket. That's my ask. That was my ambition at that point in time. I was playing a lot of second 11 cricket. Um, and I, yeah, that was my dream. And I had lots of opportunities to play, uh, went to university and, and was on the MCC University's cricket program, the six centres of excellence in the UK. So I got a place on one of those, which was great because it meant I could train full time at cricket, have access to brilliant facilities, brilliant coaches, but also was uh, was studying and, and, and in full time education. So it was a really good balance for me. And I unfortunately, in my second year, I think it was, had some stress fractures in my lower back um, which isn't the most uncommon thing in young fast bowlers, unfortunately. Um, and so I was put on a rehab plan and luckily studying at the same time and something quite helpful for me um, in terms of understanding what injury I was experiencing. So I went through all the protocol, uh, got back fit, played again, and was was fortunate enough to play a bit of first class cricket and many more second team games were saying um, and thought, yeah, we're back on track again. Following season, unfortunately, stress fractures reappeared. Um, so, uh, end of the world, what am I going to do? Um, and luckily, at that point, was put in touch with a somebody who's still playing the games, a, a player called Steve Kirby, who's coming to the end of his career at Somerset. He was transitioning to become a coach. And he was doing his level four coaching badge and had to have a bit of a case study and i got on with him really well um great character he's full of life um bit of a lunatic but he was great fun to be around and so i said yeah absolutely i'd, I'd love to work with you so i traveled down to somerset to taunton to, to work with him and get my try and get me back on track again um and so we did that unfortunately it didn't work out in terms of trying to sign somewhere it's the way it goes in sport um and so that's when i then went back in, into back to sussex and worked in the clinics but a year later, I got a phone call from him and said, 
made, I'm taking up the, the head coach role of the MCC Young Cricketer Programme at Lords. And I've just been informed that the physio that they've had has left. Um, would you would you want to, to come on board? Um, I said, absolutely. You knew how much I love cricket, working at Lords, the, the place in, in, in world cricket. Um, I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing. So travelled up to Lords, had an interview with, with the medical staff up there and, and with Steve and was offered the role. Um, and it was amazing. I, I can't be more grateful to him in terms of the opportunity and, and the four years that I, or three and a half years that I spent with him uh, at the YCs and uh, yeah, amazing, amazing memories. And so what, how did that work then? How, how often were you at Lords? So it was initially, so, so there was an osteopath at Lords prior to, to my arrival, uh, Keith Gladstone, who has been great in terms of my career in sport as well and giving me opportunity, which we'll, we'll come on to, no doubt. Um, so it, initially it was um, it, covering matches. It was, it was covering the second 11 games. Um, so traveling all over the country, um, covering major match days at Lords, uh, which was amazing. Uh, was fortunate enough to be at Lords during the World Cup that England won, um, and yes, yeah, yeah, so my timing was was perfect uh, to to enjoy some amazing moments and Ashes series, um, and and yes, yeah, so it was a bit of clinical role, diagnostics, injury management, injury prevention with the SNC coaches, um, and then yeah, pitch side trauma care um, and and management. Yeah, I mean, that, that must have been like for you as a cricket fan and then you kind of start in your own clinical journey as well. That must have been pretty much like a dream job. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I'd only ever been, as, it sounds weird, but as a big cricket fan, I'd only ever been to Lords once before. Um, so I was, what, 25 when that opportunity presented itself. So I, I, I think I'd only been to Lords when I was about 11 or 12. Um, and that memory will stick with me in terms of that first time you see the grass at Lords. My mum always winds me up now. She says, you know, the first moment you saw the grass, you're like, mum, look at the grass. Like, unbelievable. Um, and then, yeah, working in to Lords to work, it's sort of got a, a special aura about it. I don't know if you've been to Lords yourself, but it's sort of got this weird feeling, which is is very unique in world sport. Um, and uh, the, the physio room, the clinical room is is in the pavilion. So so walking into the pavilion as your place of work is is quite unique yeah so and so you were there for four years yeah just shy of four years three and a half years um and then covid struck and that really changed things so unfortunately the yc mcc yc program um was stopped that the funding was pulled as businesses were trying to, to work out how on earth they were going to sustain themselves through that period of time so I had a very difficult phone call and was told that, um, unfortunately, my role was no longer. Um, and at the time, it's pretty, pretty tough to hear. You, you know, the world is going into this crazy phase. You're told you're not going to have a job for the summer, which so that was in March time. And from March through to September, as you can imagine, my diary was pretty cricket dominant. Um, so I'm thinking, goodness me, what am I going to do here? Um, so that came to quite an abrupt end. Um, that's the way it goes. But uh, from that, I was unfortunate that other opportunities opened. And and yeah, luckily, I'm still in one of those opportunities at Isokinetic. Right. Yeah. Well, that Isokinetic, that's another another big institution. And so uh, what was the transition to, to that role? 
So I, the the doctor involved at Lords is a chap called Dr. Phil Batty, who I know you've had on your your podcast before, um, and I got on well with Phil um, at, at Lords. We 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 seemed to click from the off, which was great. Um, and he, so I contacted him actually and said. Look, um, as you know, that the YCs is, is is being stopped. Um, I've, my opportunity there has has come to an end. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, is there other other areas that that you know? Uh, well, on other clinics, other sporting teams that are looking for osteopaths. Um, at the time was probably a silly thing to ask because nobody was because it was a pandemic. But he he came back and, and said actually. We need another osteopath at the uh, Isokinetic in London. Um, and would I be interested? So absolutely, everyone, I, being in the world of sports medicine, I knew Isokinetic. I've been there a number of times with some of our players to see Phil at Isokinetic. So I knew where it was. Um, I knew how, how amazing the facility was there. So again, I went up and, and met with uh, the director there, a chap called Mike Davison, who, who I think you know as well. Um, again, got on with him really well, and they offered me the opportunity. And about six weeks, I think, or so later, when they reopened properly, I started and, and went through the onboarding, um, and still uh, am there today. So, when you go into somewhere like Isokinetic, I was down at the conference recently, which is, you know, they've got amazing history. That schedule is just stresses me out looking at it. So, I don't know how Mike manages to pull it all together. Um, <laughs> But for when you go into somewhere like that, do they talk to you about like the culture, like the drivers, what their mission is and things that for, for us when we're interviewing people or chatting to them, that that's a big part of what we're looking for. So what's it like going into a place like Isokinetic? Massively so. They are that is their they're non-negotiable. You buy into their culture. Um and it it's brilliant. It's um it's an Italian company, Italian-owned company. Um, so there's eight centres across Italy, and, and we're in London. And you you go to Bologna to the headquarters. You meet the family. So it's the Della Villa family that that own the clinic, um, and you spend time with them. They they look at you from a character perspective. Uh, they they take you for for some dinner and and try and invite you into their their family really, um, which is amazing. And you have to buy into that, of course. Um, there's uh, a titolari course, um, which is uh, basically a hundred questions, which talks about the the isokinetic way, um, the, the four pillars that they have, um, and it's yeah, it, it is a big important factor to work in there. Uh, and then, so from your perspective, then when you you're speaking to so is any any organisation is like how much does that get you on board or like do, do, do you, are you looking for something to align have you got your own values that you're looking to do or, or definitely definitely i think fundamentally in sports medicine we deal with human beings right so yes there's an injury but i think at times you have to well, all the time you have to strip that injury away and actually deal with the person in front of you and and therefore the their culture of that and and how they create an atmosphere how they they drive excellence um, for every individual is is hugely important. And yes, there's a set protocol for ACL rehabilitation, the Achilles rupture, whatever, um, that you have to follow and you have to go through certain markers and jump through certain hoops. But at the end of the day, they're, they're a human being, whether they're an international footballer or a 60-year-old 
who wants to play with their grandchild it they they are just humans and and that's important and they make that very clear um and i think you have to have that connection with a patient from the off otherwise they're not going to buy into you you're going to find it difficult to work with them so uh, yeah i think that is 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 hugely important mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, i think i'm just using this for market research now but yeah bear with me on it so it's like so in terms of that that culture piece is that something is that like continually like delved into with with their like in whether it's in a one-to-ones or quarterly meetings or whatever absolutely so we have medical meetings so the osteopaths sit with the doctors in isokinetics so we have medical meetings quarterly in italy um which is nice we go for long weekends and, and stay in some lovely places uh and and absolutely so so things are discussed um yes it's it's more of a medical meeting but it always comes back to the culture and the clinical atmosphere how can they improve it in each center uh, you know learn from each other and that's that's a really great thing and once a year, there's a whole clinical meeting, um, whole company meeting. Uh, so everybody from reception staff to maintenance staff to physios, doctors, osteos go over to Italy and, and we have a huge company meeting. And that is very much about the culture and, and coming all together and speaking about what, what institute we work for, how we should go about it, developments and so on. So it's yeah, it's really it's it is massive. No, it sounds great. Sounds really good. And then from the, the conference itself, do you have any involvement with that? I met Andrea um, yeah. prior to, to so we like because you've got one of our ultrasound machines there yeah. that Chris and the guys use. Um, so like for, for the conference perspective, how involved did, did the clinical team get in that? They, they're pretty involved. So um, they most of the physios will present a case um, and like a poster presentation and discussions about how they perhaps would go about it differently if they saw this patient again, learning points and so on, which is which is really important. That's how we all learn. Um, the the doctors will all present on an injury or an area of the body, whatever it may be, um, on the main stage, which I'm sure you saw with, with Chris and the Jesus and Matt. So that that's a um, yeah, that that's more of a medical sort of lecturing type type thing that the doctors do. Mm. Yeah, and what so what's your remit within your role at Isokinetic? So my role at Isokinetic is very much hands-on. Um, so how we work at Isokinetic, it's very it's a doctor-led clinic. So patients will arrive. They will have to see the doctor to, to come into care or most do that some bypass that and just come directly just osteopathy. But if they want to come in and do physiotherapy, they have to see the doc. So they will have their consultation. Scans will be ordered or an ultrasound done or, or whatever that may be. Um, and then they're in care. So a, a pathway is created for them. So that may be 10 sessions with the osteo, 30 sessions with the physio, of which five will be hydrotherapy. 15 in the gym and then 10 in the, the green room or whatever it may be, which is sort of the green room is an area where um, it's, it's sort of all singing or dancing in terms of the room, lots of video analysis, um, uh, force plates and so on, which give more uh, of an idea of where that athlete is at before they go back onto the field. So it's a whole journey that that patient will go on and they'll check in regularly with the doctor, just tweak slightly the plan maybe add another physio session or take one away if they're getting a bit sore and, and so on so um it's yeah it's a unique clinic in that sense 
Mm. And then, from, again, from your perspective, you've gone from working in Lords, which was like your kind of dream job there, but now you're on a really in a prominent location on Harley Street. How how was that change for you? And like, what what was it like working? What's what's? I mean, I always think there's a massive buzz anywhere in, in a lot of places in London, but particularly Harley Street. Uh, Yeah, Harley Street is very unique um, in terms of of what's on offer on Harley Street from a medical perspective, from cosmetic to surgical to sports medicine. Um, So our our patient load there is is mostly athletic patients um, as a sports medicine clinic. Um, It's sort of we perhaps see maybe five percent are elite athletes. 50% 50% are, are semi-pro to amateur uh, and the rest are just relatively active. Um, we get the odd patient that's pretty sedentary or, or elderly, which which tests us in that environment. Um, but it's, um, yeah, fundamentally the patients there want to get back to physical activity. And that's really important in a sports medicine clinic. So they, they know that they're coming in to try and get back to some kind of sport. And, and we know that um, and we know what their targets are, their aspirations are that we can work towards um so it's yeah it's it's a nice patient there and then i know you've done work in football and so on so how do you in terms of your you've got your work at kinetic how does that fit in with other things that you're looking to do or are doing so when I first joined Isokinetic, I was doing a little bit of work at Tottenham Hotspur with Keith Gladstone, who is still there as an osteopath. Um, so initially it was uh, sort of a cover period while he was away, um, actually at the World Rugby World Cup uh, with England. So I did a, a block of about three months um, and got on really well with the, the staff and the, the coaching staff, the players. So essentially it, it evolved to... <laughs> be a bit of a a job share if you will sort of a bit more of a a cover role for when he was away with other bits and pieces so i really enjoyed that it was amazing great environment i don't know if you've ever been to to the the training ground uh at tottenham hotspur but it's it's unbelievable um and you could have a holiday there for a week and not get bored and it's so it was great it was amazing um amazing medical staff uh, and, and great environment to be be a part of. So I was there sort of maybe one or one or two days a week alongside Ice Kinetic, whilst growing my own clinical practice back down in Sussex. Um, and then as Keith has stepped back from other roles, he's done more at Tottenham, so I've done done much less. So my my week has evolved to to more Ice Kinetic and and more of my own clinical practice back in Sussex. Mm, yeah, I've not been to Tottenham's training ground. My colleagues have, and it, it, yeah, I need to, I need to change that because it's um, I've heard amazing things. I've not been to the stadium either, which I've I've heard is also incredible. So it's uh, yeah, it yeah. Do, it does look really good. No, it's amazing. It, it really was great. Really enjoyed my time there, and and was um, was welcomed on arrival really really nicely. It was it was great, and and again talking about the culture. The culture there at the time was amazing. Um, the the manager was uh, Pochettino, and he. I think most people in sport know that that's what he's about. He creates this culture and we're probably about to see that at Chelsea now in terms of a huge cultural change. Um, and it was very much a family atmosphere. Players would sit down for, for breakfast and lunch together. There was no phones allowed in, in public areas, had to interact with each other. And I think going back to that cultural discussion we just had, it, it I, yeah, I was really amazed by that 
um, having come from cricket where you walk into a changing room and it's slightly different at cricket because it's long days you know the players if, you, if you're a bowler and you, it's a batting day you know phones are around at, at, at times and it's um, yeah it, rain delays and so on but but from from his culture at Spurs it was amazing to watch it or be a part of it was brilliant and just like in, in that football team, I can imagine it's slightly different to when you're going into like a nice kinetic where it's quite a sort of fixed environment. But how, apart from like the things that you mentioned there for having no phones and interacting with people, is there any other way that that's communicated? Like, is it, do you get given a talk on this is what we expect, this is what, this what accepted, that isn't what it's expected? Yeah, I guess so, actually. The, one of the, the lead physios there, a chap called Stuart Campbell, sort of sat me down and said, this is what's expected. This is how, how it works. Um, the play, Just to warn you, the players on arrival every morning that you're in, they'll come through the medical room and they'll shake all of our, all of our hands. Um, so just to, to, to expect that, because that's obviously quite unique. Um, and then he was saying, you know, when you're treating players if they if they some of them might get their phone out and you know don't be don't be concerned if a player like comes and says get your phone away or put your, you know, whatever that's just how how it it's sort of you have leaders in dressing rooms right that run a culture um and and so that would happen that would happen all the time um so it was yeah a little bit of learn on the job and, and sort of follow suit and try and stay in line but um yeah a bit of sort of yeah this is what to expect and, and this is how we need you to go about what what we want you to do mm, no it's really interesting it is really interesting because i think a lot of the time footballers get a bit of a, a bad bad rap or sports people particularly footballers because they they get paid so much but the, the ones that i've met there like they're they're really sharp very driven very smart and um, they kind of get tagged with being oh yeah they're just uneducated things there is like that's just a mass generalization and unfair couldn't agree with you more it's um it's not the players fault that they're earning that much money that's just how the sport has gone and sponsorship and etc um so yes players now are demanding and, and players hold a lot of power um but again they are still just human beings right and when I, I'm a big football fan, I'm a big Everton fan with my family coming from the Wirral. And so when I went into that dressing room uh, or, or into the medical room, I was like a bit, first day I was sort of a, a bit like eyes wide open, goodness me, you know, there's X, X player, Y player thinking, oh, this is amazing. Um, and, it, it, but you strip that back, they're just human beings again, you know, they've they've got life issues, they've got they're not sleeping because they've got a, a, a two-week-old baby at home they've got family issues they've got whatever pressures of contracts and it's um yeah they're, they're you're right they are given a rough ride at times and um and they are just but yeah they are just human beings i think that's an important thing to keep going back to mm, yeah no again i think it's really i'm an everton fan as well by the way so we'll, are you uh, really I'm an Everton fan, yeah. So Joe Hinnigan, who's been on physio at Everton, and it's like Everton have had a, like a that their culture and performance has been, you know, it's been in the spotlight for a few years now, hasn't it? Because it's not it's not been great. But then even like speaking with Joe and some other people from who've been in the club, it's like I've asked that question. Oh yeah, what's it like when you see you know you like for me it's really exciting Harry Kane or whatever, and it's like. They're normal people and they're doing the best they can in that particular circumstance. And it's, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's something everyone just, just assumes, oh, they're just, oh, what, what are they doing? They're getting a million pound a year or whatever. It's, whereas like that's, 
even though I'll be like to you, oh God, what's it like seeing Harry Kane every day? And like to you, that's just the norm or to him, he's just a person, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You're quite right. And and yeah, the, the, the media at times is amazing, but also at times is is pretty horrific to these people. Um, and as players, they know that they get on with it. That's just how it is. They've been brought up that way and, and, and brought up with how to to manage media, manage reporters and, and people that are trying to meddle with them. And I think, yeah, that that's um, something that is if they have to have their wits about them absolutely but um yeah fundamentally they they just want to come in train eat their food and go back to their family they're they're pretty most of them are pretty easy going and, and want to live a pretty quiet life um on a golf course perhaps somewhere in the afternoon <laughs> yeah no no definitely well if you've got any influence over harry kane we everton need a striker so uh if, if we could make that move happen that would be that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure not sure there's the the finances available for that. Um, but jeepers, it's going to be an interesting season ahead. I actually think with Dyche in charge, we, we've got a chance of being slightly better than we have over the last few years. I think we might just about finish 14th or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting because it's like with these new teams, and it's like you see the teams that have come into the Premier League, like um, like Brentford, all of a sudden they're just established. Amazing. amazing. Brighton. Really good, like Bournemouth, Brighton. And then it's like now Luton are there. And it's like, yeah. God, you see some of the teams. Like, I think the first game of the um, championship is uh, Sheffield Wednesday v Southampton. And it's like historically yeah. two massive teams. It's, it's amazing. And, tonight, isn't it? The season starts tonight. It's amazing how quick that's come around. Um, yeah. Wolves, it seems so early. Um, but you're right. It's, um, it is crazy how how it is changing. And we we might see Wrexham in the Premier League at some point with their their crazy journey that they're going on, which is which is great fun to watch from afar. There's this, this uh, new documentary out, isn't there? I think I need to try and get hold of that and watch that. It'll be quite fun to watch. No, no, it is. No, it is. I think it is really interesting. And then there's all the Saudi Arabian stuff. Like when, when you're in the in the teams, then do you like, do you hear much? Not that I'm asking you to share the gossip of what what may happen, but do you? Is is it talked about in terms of transfers or oh yeah the players are being touted to go to Saudi for X X amount or anything? I think I think um, the players discuss it and when I was in in Spurs you know when I was doing that a few years ago it was very uh, you you know you'd hear conversations going on of course there'd be Sky Sports on in the physio room and and it would be talking about X Y and Z player moving and they'd be speculating about it um so yeah I I think it is never when when I was there was I or a player would say to me oh I'm going to move here or there or that one of the one of the other members of the squad is going to go here or there that doesn't happen um but certainly players of other the teams they they love to gossip about and I, I think that's normal right it's uh yeah um yeah the Saudi thing will be interesting at ice kinetic we have um uh, during our summertime in their summertime it's what 50 odd degrees so we have quite a few patients that come from saudi and qatar and dubai that come over to london um and we do some work with them for for six to eight weeks while they're here um and i've got a patient at the moment who's a huge um football fan 
uh, in Saudi. So he's buzzing. He's like, we're going to be the third biggest league in the world within five years. We'll never compete with the Premier League or La Liga because of Madrid and Barca. But watch this space. We will be the third best league. We're going to be better than Germany and France and Italy. Um, and so he's 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 bang on it. He's told me I need to to support his team Al Hilal. So he's like, I'm going to get you a shirt. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens over the next few years there. But it's um it's a bit. Uh, I do, I say to him, it's a, from my perspective. I don't know if I can get on board with the money that's being thrown around there at the moment. It is fairly crazy. The offer that Mbappe's just received is is pretty out there. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. But um, I guess if you want to make something good initially, you have to chuck a bit of money at it. And I think that's probably their their thought process. But we'll see if that's got longevity or not. It'll be interesting. Mm. It, people have been saying the money's ridiculous for the last 20 years, haven't they? But like, I remember Roy Keane getting his 50 grand a week or whatever, like over 20 years ago. And like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, it is absolutely crazy, isn't it? And it's, you sort of see both sides of like the Jordan Henderson one. Oh yeah, he shouldn't have done that. But it's like, well, he's done an amazing job for Liverpool. It's like, it's a bit harsh, I think, to to say yeah. he's, he's going to have his, his legacy tainted. Oh, I, I agree with you totally, as hard as that is for me to say as well, and you'd say as Everton fans, um, he's not. I, I'm not uh, his biggest fan, but yeah, you can't begrudge that, can you? You get offered that, you, you go there for two years, set up his family and future generations for life, and uh, yeah, fair enough. It's um, it's one of those that uh, that you can't begrudge, absolutely. But I just, I don't know. It, it, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see some some higher profile players that are in their their twenties that that are going there um, to play, and everyone will be like, oh, it's just money. But it'll be interesting to see whether that does give players a, a springboard to further things. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. No, no, will be will be really interesting. So you mentioned earlier on about that the non-clinical skills and like what would you say are the core ones to be a good clinician? Oh, good question. Um, I think empathy for one. Um, you, you've got to understand your, your patients and and empathise with them as sometimes as difficult as as that is. Um, you, you do have to to buy into what they're they're saying to you. Um, I think you. <laughs> I think you have to be quite open as a as a practitioner. I think gone are the days of a set protocol. This is this is how we rehab a hamstring or whatever. I think you have to be a lot more open to to the journey that that patient's on. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that, that sports medicine is always evolving. So so it's hugely important to have eyes open and discussion points with with everybody, and not think that you know everything. I think. Uh, and to be fair, I think most people in sports medicine aren't like that anymore. But I think at times there's egos that get involved, aren't there? And I know this and this is how we're going to do it. But actually, I don't think you ever stop learning and, and everyone will say that to you, I'm sure. But you, you've got to have um, have eyes open all the time and be willing to soak up new information and new studies and new ways of doing things. Um, and put your patient first rather than the new first, I think is important. Mm. How have you seen change in patients' expectations in terms of the treatment that they receive? How, how has that changed over the last few years? Um, I don't I don't know if there's been a change as such from expectations. I think I think every patient comes in, and the first thing I say to all of my patients is, "What what do you what are you expecting from from me from us 
just so we know what what we are trying to work towards and at times we can can go back to that and say okay point one we've completed you can now walk for 10 minutes or whatever and and so therefore there's 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 good markers along the way good targets to hit so that's that's important but ultimately every patient expects to get better and back to what they were doing prior to injury um which is fair enough and in the most part you'd hope that happens unfortunately at times you have to have honest conversations with people and say unfortunately this is going to be you now for life you're gonna have to manage this condition or manage this injury with prehab rehab ongoing stuff whatever it may be but um yeah, I think I don't think I don't think that will ever change. I think every patient just wants to to revert back to what they were doing before. Mm. Yeah, one one of the things that we've found with like the business that we're in, like with the NHS, finding it quite difficult is that private clinics, particularly the the patient, um, they're well, they're going to privately more, uh, but also they may have more of an expectation on objectivity or outputs or different things as as technology is improving. Yeah. Have you seen anything like that where they are more demanding of what resource you've got or equipment or anything like that? Yeah, I think um, when patients go into a into a gym, I, I take Ice Kinetic for example. You know, there's all the equipment in there, and patients at times will say say to me because I'm not in the gym, they'll come up and say, "Oh, you know, they there's a patient with like this thing on their leg that was pulsing, and I, I I'd like to have a go on that." And I'm like, "But you don't need to have a go on that because you've got like it was the complex machine, right?" So I'm like, "You've got enough." muscle control muscle strength to not do that so you're a bit ahead of that oh but it looks like it would be helpful and it's sort of like managing all these different things around the clinic and saying you know it's not it's not playground <laughs> like you're here for rehab and and the physio doc osteo whatever will will do what they think is best for you rather than it being yeah try that today and have a have a, have a go on that it's, you're going to get injured um kinetic is very um good at testing patients throughout with the isokinetic machine for example or, or muscle uh, muscle power testing tools um etc so it's they are very good at, or we are very good at ensuring patients can see improvement and change and, and hitting markers and saying actually you know we've still got five degrees to go in terms of your knee extension and, and that's what we've got to work on for the next two weeks and two weeks we retest and it'll remeasure and you see you see that five percent little five degrees back again and you're thinking yeah great and so then they can transition on to the next thing so it is important that's yeah that that's that's a really good point and and i think patients really need to um need to see that now mm. Yeah, for your own development, then, are there any like non-clinical self-development books that you're into? I'm a massive fan of my own personal development of whatever these books may be, and there's obviously thousands of them. Are there any particular ones that you're into, or are you into that sort of thing? Um, I've I've just finished a master's, like literally just handed in my dissertation two weeks ago, um, which um, which was a big relief. Um, and so throughout that, yeah, you know, you, you're developing as a practitioner, constantly learning, constantly having discussions with tutors, uh, specialists in in whatever part of the body that we're discussing on any given week. Um, and, and so, yeah, throughout that, you know, I've developed as a practitioner, absolutely. From a, from a 
outside of a, a clinical perspective, um, there are so many books now, aren't there? It's a, this massive movement of self-development and and how to improve as an individual. Um, I haven't quite got on board with that. For, I haven't quite got into into books yet of, of that, but I'm not against it. I'm, I'm sure I will at some point. I've got to find the time now. I'm out of the masters and not reading journals and <laughs> and and research papers um, to actually take take a time to to do that. That'd be that'd be really interesting. Mm, yeah, well, no, I can see you've got Ant Middleton, Andy McNabb. So you've got some some of the military. Uh, is that yeah. fictional stuff or is Ant Middleton's one of his? That looks like one of his motivational ones, is it? It, it is one of the motivational ones. You're quite right. Um, oh yeah, I'm a big fan of those 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 military books and, and the discipline and um, and making uh, making self improvement. It's um, yeah, so I'm a big fan of those those books. Absolutely. Yeah, I've not done any of Ant Middleton's actually, but he's he's done amazingly well, hasn't he? He's really oh, really yeah. become one of the leaders in that that movement. He's a bit, I think he's a bit marmite, isn't he, as a character? I think uh, he's, I don't know, so you either like him or, or loathe him, but he's yeah, he's I think he's a good chap. He's he's pretty black and white, which I quite like. Um, he, he says it how it is. Uh, you watch some of those SAS programs that he did, and. Yeah, he's he's pretty brutal, but I think um, I think yeah, he's he's clearly had an, an amazing career in the military and, and fair play to him. Mm. And how was the masters? Masters was brilliant. Um, five years it took me, so I did it distant learning part time at UCL in sports medicine. It was great. Um, I'm glad to see the back of it. I won't lie. Um, a lot's gone on in the five years that I started. We've had a pandemic marriage, house move, child. Um, so there's a lot of things that have been thrown into the equation to to get home from, and I said, I've done it part-time distance learning. So I've worked full-time around it. So um, particularly the the last sort of six months with a baby involved has been been tricky to get home and sort of, yeah, read journals just before I go to bed whilst feeding her. And it's, uh, yeah, um, it, it has been a journey, but it, yeah, it, it one I've really enjoyed and I'm glad I did it um and it, it's it's been great masters are great in terms of opening doors to, to different practitioners discussion points speaking with with consultants and so on so um that's what i i wanted to get from it as well which which is definitely has given me that right and what's the what's what do you see is the plan for you over the next five ten years or so i I'd like to, from a, a personal perspective, I'd like to, to grow my own private clinical practice, which I have back in Sussex. Um, I'd like to, to expand that. Um, so that's that's the first first thing. Now I'm out of, of the masters that I've got a bit more time to, to try and work out how to, to, to do that. So that'll be be fun to definitely to do and, and get another couple of osteos or physios, whatever involved would, would definitely be the plan of action. I'd love to go back into a team sport environment at some point. I've always said that. and. Um, and I, I miss the the, the dressing room, miss that the dream room where you've got players and different discussions going on and, and, and the fun that goes with that. So, yeah, absolutely would would like to if there was an opportunity that presented itself, I, I definitely would 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 be keen to, to discuss what, what that would look like. Um, so we'll see how that evolves over the next few years. Mm, great. And then last question, what, what would your advice be for people that are interested in getting into whether it's osteopathy or anything within rehabilitation sports medicine what would you say to them i think i think most clinics are really good at inviting people in to come and shadow and chat and look watch how how things work how patients go through journeys 
I did that with my godfather up in Liverpool and uh, another few physio clinics. Um, and it was that was really helpful because then you know exactly what you're going into. You can actually see it in real life, almost like a mini internship for, for a week or so. Um, uh, so I think that's hugely important and and speak to people. Uh, I think I was was really fortunate with with people that I knew already in the world of sports medicine to, to reach out and speak and and people want to help. You know, that's that's a really great thing. And people are willing to, to speak to you and say, yeah, there, there's an opportunity here or I can introduce you to so and so. So don't be afraid to, to ask and have a conversation. It's exactly what I did rewind just a few minutes ago when I, I reached out to Phil, uh, Dr. Phil Batty and said, you know what, I'm a bit stuck here, you know, the role in cricket's stopped, finished, what 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 should I do? And um, straight away he offered me a role. So I think um, that was fortunate, very lucky timing, but I think that's, that's a really important thing is speak to people uh, and people are always going to be willing to help. Brilliant. No, sounds good. Well, Let's uh, keep me posted when you're in the northwest. If you fancy an Everton game, we can maybe uh, maybe get down there. We should get in early on before the stress really kicks in. Uh, absolutely, I'm not <laughs> sure. Not sure how many how many days I can do again at Goodison Park, where I don't really want to watch. Um, but yeah, definitely this year, potentially the last year at Goodison, isn't it? It depends on how the new stadium goes. So um, definitely be venturing up uh, a few times to come watching. Try and get to a few away games. That we get to quite a few away games down here, actually, with, with which is great, and, and with family. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely hook up before a game for sure. Sounds good, brilliant. All right, look, Jamie, really appreciate it. Have a great time at the wedding, and uh, thanks again for for your time. Thanks, Andy. Really appreciate it. All the best. Cheers.